The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. This sermon series is a welcome to every weary traveler. It is teaching us to sing joining a long tradition of the way that we access our heads through our hearts by saying words that we maybe don't yet know are true, and yet we're learning to declare them as true. That's what the Psalms are. We believe that in each one of us is a deep, inherent longing to be home, uh, not just uh, you know one room shack here on earth, but a home that can't get taken away by hurricanes or storms or leaking roofs or a home that is completely safe and a home of belonging and that is a home that we have been from the time before we were born invited to by the Father. And so this sermon series is a hope to feed that longing and teach us to sing along the way. To sing along the way as we are going home. So just to give context for the Psalms, uh, Psalms are probably the best known book in the Old Testament. Uh, I think one of the reasons for that is that if you... Have you ever come in contact with a Gideon Bible, a little New Testament? How many of you have, have at some point come in contact with it? Okay, some of you I know, Nate, I know you have, didn't raise your hand. Um, so uh, the, the very back portion of it, so the Gideon Bibles, the New Testaments, take out the New Testament, focus on that, but then they include the Psalms and Proverbs. And I think that's, that's kind of uh, helped this understanding, at least familiarity with the Psalms, these, these songs that, that we find smack dab in the middle of the Bible. And because I think we're familiar with them, and maybe a lot of the, the verses um, will stick out to us, whether it's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? Or, or all these metaphors that even Jesus pulls out of the Psalms. We're familiar with them, but sometimes when we get into them, I think we still need help reading them. And, and let me give a, an illustration to you. Now, with wrong expectations going into certain literature, you can be um, not just bored, but disappointed. So imagine that you want to, um, you want a good read, right? You got a long weekend coming up and, and you think, I want a good story. And so you go to Barnes and Nobles and you pick up, uh, you know, intro to calculus textbook and you, you sit down you know, just by the fire, cozy as can be, and you just dive in. Very soon, you are going to be very disappointed. I imagine I would be. Okay? Now, now imagine uh, maybe something that, that isn't, isn't as, as big of a stretch as that, but imagine that, that you want an essay on the character and nature of God. You want something that will just get to the point that's simple, clear, concise, that you can, you can take in about 10 minutes and we'll give you, and, and you, instead of getting 
an essay on it, you, you find a poem about a man's relationship with God. And you would get into that and you would feel lost, confused, disappointed again because you're, you're reading for something that's clear and concise and all of a sudden you've found something that's, that's deeply psychological, right? It's not, you can't just skim the top and get it. And, and I think the Psalms are like that. And so what I want to start with is giving you some helpful hints in reading the Psalms. And, and I think this will be helpful in reading or listening to poetry also. The first is this, that, that the Psalms, poetry, especially Hebrew poetry, gets to the head through the heart. Right? It's intended to awaken emotion. And sometimes in the church, we, we are scared by that. Or, or we, we kind of just go, man, give me, give me something that's, that's sort of philosophical, right? Something that like my mind starts working. I can kind of see how it's maybe, you know. And that, that's not how the Psalms work. The, the Psalms are deeply feeling. And, and so to understand these, you've got to open up places in your heart, okay? And that might be uncomfortable. Uh, the, the second is that you must look for images, not definitions, while you're reading the Psalms. This is really important. Look for images, not definitions. So um, what you're meant to do in, in all these is, is see what the psalmist is talking about through metaphor or analogy, a good example would be Psalm 23, right? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you were to read that and, and not take it as being metaphorical, you would get done and you would think, I think God's telling me I'm a sheep. Right? You're meant to get the image there, the image of what it's like for a sheep to be dependent upon the shepherd in that same way we are meant to be dependent upon the shepherd. And the last thing is this, that these psalms are meant to be looked at in the whole, not, not the parts. And so many of these psalms are going to be intensely repetitive. Um, you're you're going to get through verse after verse, and you're, you're going to think, okay, He's saying different things, but I think he's actually saying the same thing over and over again, and that's probably often true. Uh, also, if you read a psalm, you, you might start in a place of incredible despair, and but by the time you get to the end, it's a place of hope or, or promise. And, and oftentimes in our lives, this is where the psalms can be helpful, we get lost in the parts without taking in the whole. And the psalms also can be helpful in, in that way reminding you that you are, you are a part of a story and your story is not yet done. And, that, and we read this into the Psalms. David will start by saying, I am in the midst of a mire, right? I feel like I'm just, I'm just groveling in the mud and at the end he's like, but I, I will hope still, I put my hope in you. And so taking the Psalms as a whole is an incredible help. Now the Psalms of Ascent, to understand how those fit into the Psalms as a whole is really important because we're going to be traveling through these for 15 weeks. Now the Psalms of Ascent, no one really knows exactly how they were used, but we've seen them used in different ways. Now commanded to Israel, God said three times a year, wherever you live, I want you to travel back to Jerusalem for feasts. These feasts were reminders of God's faithfulness, his provision, his goodness, his forgiveness, and his care, right? And so when, 
when they were coming back to Jerusalem along the way, right? These Psalms of Ascent, Jerusalem was at the top of the hill. So wherever you were coming, you were kind of traveling up. They were coming back as a, as a sign of obedience. God, we're coming to obey you and we're coming to remember you. And so all these Psalms are, think of them as, as people being called from all over the place. In Israel, outside of Israel, as we see in 120, and they're, they're coming back, finding their way back to Jerusalem, going home. And, and along the way, as they're going home, they're remembering the God who's called them. They're remembering where they've come from, what it looks like on the journey, and of their destination. And, and this was really fun to think of, because my family, uh, when we would go on car trips when I was a kid, we would have songs that we we sang, and if my, my mom was here or dad, we would do some of the, you know, the rounds with you. The, the do, just, they aren't though, so you have to miss out. But there's these songs, so we would take these long road trips, this old Ford station wagon, and I remember we would, um, <laughs> we would sing along the way. And I'm, okay, I'm gonna try one out on you, okay? There's this song, <clears throat> it just was going through my head all the time, so I'm gonna, there's, it, it would, and I don't remember what it was called, but we would go, hey, do you want to sing this one? Yeah, let's sing it. And then there's, it would go, in God's green pastures, feeding by his cool waterside, soft in the evening walk my Lord and I. All the sheep of his pastures fared so wondrously fine, his sheep and I. And then it would go like this, water's cool in the valley, pastures green on the mountain. Yeah, in the eve, in the evening, walk my Lord and I. Right, and so we would sing this. <laughs> it was just, I don't, okay, yeah, that was the culture of my family, okay? But a- along the way to where we were going, and it would, it would pass the time, right? It would pass the time, and it would bring us together. This car that, like, one person would be reading, uh, you know, a book, another person would be doing a puzzle, and, you know, whatever. It, all of a sudden, all of us who were doing different things would, for a moment, come together to sing, and that is, that is the shape of these psalms, is that these groups that would come from all over and would meet along the road as they would travel would sing together. And these are a collection of hymns that, that, that literally, they had, they were brought together. There four of them were written by David. One was written by Solomon. The rest of them, we don't know who wrote them, but they were brought together so they could be sung along the way. And, and that is what these Psalms of Ascent are. Okay, now with all that background, are you guys ready to get into them? Okay, let's do it. Okay, thank you, Danny. Got a fist pump back there. Okay, let me read this for you. Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So the context of this psalm is where the journey begins. 
And I, and I love this. This is such an appropriate way to start. Where we find ourselves when we start the journey. And I want, I want to bring this kind of right, right to you personally, where you might find yourself now. And this was really helpful for me as I, as I thought through the journey we're going to take together is, is think of this. Uh, have you ever found yourself in a place that you thought you'd never be? Maybe a place um, lacking passion. <laughs> Remembering, man, I remember when I just, I had energy. <laughs> I remember when, when I felt, someone would call me up and I like had something. I remember when somebody would ask me a question, I'd be ready to engage. And, and now I just, I feel like I'm hesitant. I feel like I'm guarding my heart for some reason. Maybe there's something in your life that you feel like there's a sin you're wrestling with. And you're just like, I never thought I would be here. I never thought I would be wrestling with this. Maybe where you're living or, or what your family's experiencing, right? Maybe a relationship you're in. <laughs> you're like, man, I just never thought that the way this started or what my hopes and dreams were that I would, I would end up in this place, right? Or, or maybe like when you first started your home, your home felt safe, your home felt like home and now you realize you're <laughs> at work and you're, you're kind of, postponing going on. I don't know what it is, but, but what it is that you just never thought you'd be there, but now you find yourself there. Habits. You had ideals, but what happened to them? And that's sort of what, what is going on here. The, the psalmist is saying, I'm, I found myself in a place that I just, I didn't expect to be. I found myself in a place that distresses me. That is the word that's being used here. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongue. And so there's three things that I want to see here as we go through each one of these, but each one of them deals with understanding I'm in a place I don't want to be right now. Right? <laughs> Uh, the title of this sermon is Where the Journey Begins, but really it could be, I'm in a place I don't want to be right now. And, and that's exactly where the psalmist finds himself. And so, uh, so each one of these stanzas of it is looking at it in, in from a different angle. And the first is just this cry for help. I'm finding myself in a place I don't want to be right now. And so I'm crying for help. Every follower of Jesus. Every person who has experienced God has an experience of crying for help because the only way to know God is by crying out for his help. Is by finding yourself in a place that is far from him and saying, God, if you still care, if you still love me, will you help me and will you save me where I am right now? And that's where the psalmist starts. And 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 every story in the Bible is full of this. I mean, I'll just pick a smattering. I think of, of Abraham, right, who God called out and along the way cried many times, but I think of the time where, where he realized that God had promised him that, that he would bless the world through him, right? Everyone would be blessed through him and, and he, he saw that he did not have an heir and so he goes out one late one night and he just cries out to God, God, is this really your plan? I thought your plan was something else. And so, God came and affirmed the promise to him. I think of Jacob, 
Abraham's grandson, right? And, and Jacob, who his name actually means deceiver, and he spent his whole life deceiving, and finally comes to this moment where he wrestles with God. And, and, and they're, they're wrestling, it's an intense, and, and Jacob cries, he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This, this cry for help. I don't want to live the way I've been living my whole life. I've been, I've been setting myself against people and I don't want to do that anymore and I need your blessing. I don't know how to change my habits. I don't know how to stop deceiving people. I'm tired of it, but I don't know how to stop. And so he, he cries out for the blessing for that. Now think of the, the uh, book of Judges where the whole cycle of the book of Judges The entire thing is they call out to God and he answers their cry. They experience blessing. They forget him. They experience judgment and then they cry out to him again. It's like seven cycles of that. It's an exhausting book. But every time you get to the end and they're like, God, we need, do you you still care? And they, they cry out. Think of the disciples. Think of the disciples, uh, probably my favorite story of them is when they're in a, they're in a boat. And they, there's a couple, they were fishermen, so they're in a boat a lot of the time. Um, but I, th- I think of the time where Jesus is sleeping in the boat and they're all freaking out. And, and they're all having these discussions, I'm sure. And Jesus is just sleeping. And, and then, and then they, they cry out, if, do you even care that we're going to drown? And they cry out to him, think of, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane crying to the Father. If Jesus cries to the Father, for sure you need to cry to the Father, right? Father, save me from this hour. But if this is the way you want to glorify your name, glorify your name. But crying out, we need to know the Father is there. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now think of the thief on the cross, right? Think of, if we talk about journeys beginning, think about his journey beginning there. This isn't where his journey ends. This is where it begins for him. At the last moment, while his body is expiring and he's heaving himself up to grasp for air as he's about to die and he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a child of God, is to be someone who cries out in our distress, save me. Save me from the lying lips, save me from the deceitful tongue, save me from the place I now have found myself in. And the interesting thing is this, is that they are far away from the temple at this moment. Isn't this interesting? They're far away from the temple, but they believe that God can hear them. Because he does. And so then, then, right, do the calculations. Then why are they going to the temple? If God can hear them there. And this is the answer. This is fascinating. is because he has called them to come. And they're going as an act of obedience. Because there is no shortcut to a relationship with God. They're crying out, but they've set their hearts on obeying him because only in obeying his commands do we find peace. Right? Not in doing it our way. And doing it our way would be just staying in Meshach and Kedar and crying out and living in that place. But no, they're crying out and they're obeying. 
And that's where the transformation starts happening. Do you feel silenced in your life? Does the cry to God feel silenced in your life? The second thing is this, looking at this second stanza, is they've found themselves living in a culture of destruction. And you see it here, it says, what will he do to you and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrow and burning coals of the broomstick. These are the people that they are, he's living um, beside and the punishment is coming their way. And this is, this was interesting to me because it, it kind of turns from internal to external and taking in the culture that's around them and how, how God will, will bring judgment on the culture around him. <clears throat> but as I was thinking about this, I thought, man, as we, as we look at this culture of destruction, I think the way we feel this in our lives often is these moments and I don't know if you relate with this, but these moments where maybe you're like, am I the only one that doesn't find this funny? You ever have those moments in your life? Maybe it could be at work or a movie. Um, this last year, <clears throat> I, I have a cousin who's uh, super talented, and he is in a Broadway play called The Book of Mormon, and it's a satire by the guys who wrote uh, South Park, and it's a musical. And So I went to watch him. He's the lead in it, like, Crazy talented. And, uh, and throughout the play, the, the theater was in an uproar, just laughing. And I remember looking around thinking, wow. Like, nothing in me wants to laugh at this moment. This is really sad. <laughs> and, and I think there's this moment where, where we, we look at what's going on in the world and think of, I mean, I don't know what women's locker rooms are like, but guys' locker rooms. Like, I remember growing up and being, like, I was homeschooled. And, and, when I started going to school, it was actually to play sports. And so my first experience of junior high was the, the boys' locker room. And, and I remember just thinking, what is going on? <laughs> right? And, 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 and this thing of, like, when he says, what will he do to you? I, I, you know, when you, you're like, you want righteousness, you want holiness, and you're like, what's going to happen? Like, it's so far gone here. And, and this is exactly what he's looking at. There's this incredible book that I invite you guys to read that, that illustrates this well. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. And if you haven't read it, it's beautiful the way it starts. And I'm just going to read the first part to you. Thinking of this culture of destruction, is <clears throat> it's written by John Bunyan. And he, he uh, writes it as if it's a dream he's having. And he says... I dreamt, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand and a great burden on his back. And I looked and I saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and he trembled. And not being able to longer contain, he broke out with the lamentable cry saying, what shall I do? And what he's doing is it says his back is to his home and, and he's reading the book. The book is the Bible. And, and as he reads it, he's going, what shall I do? How can I live here? And, and his back is to his house because he lives in the city of destruction, right? And this city that as he reads the book, he realizes what is going on is not okay. And he goes back to his home and he pleads with his wife. He says, he pleads with his wife and he pleads with his kids. And all they do is they just go, you're weird. 
And he goes, won't you come with me? We need to escape the city of destruction. We need to go. We need to flee. And, and they won't go with him. And, and it comes to this moment where he's running away literally. And what he says is he runs away. He says he plugs his ears and he says, life, life, eternal life. As he's going, man, I see what the promise is and I see where we're at and I see we're in a place of destruction. Um, I think of this in relationship to Paul when he goes to Athens in Acts 17 and it says that that he is distressed because of the idolatry he sees in the city. And so he responds to it. And so my question here with this is simply, are you distressed? Do you get distressed? Are you distressed when... When you see an ad that is lying to people, all you need is 5G phone and you will be happy. Right? And you're distressed. You're like, liar. (laughs) You are not all I need. (laughs) Right? Like, (laughs) Big Mac. You will not satisfy my hunger and you are not nutritious. Right? Like, these things that... that (laughs) That you, <laughs> right, we get distressed because we're like, these things are not true. And, and we're just, we're tired of that, realizing that the deceitful tongue, that, that can be, guys, this, I'm not like some weirdo who's building a bunker, right? I'm just saying what you see on TV presents lies to you, okay? Is, are we all on the same page? Okay. Except maybe Wonder Years, that was a great show. Okay, <laughs> and, and that what, what we see is that, that God being a righteous judge will bring judgment on that. And that is why it brings us distress. Not because we are judging people, but we see that God, the righteous judge, one day will. And we are mortified by that. And so we're crying out for help for that. And so the, seeing that, acknowledging that the last the last stanza is simply a comparison of, of the culture of values <clears throat> that you get. And the comparison of values here is, is understanding what God is calling him to and what he sees here. He says, and this is sort of where it gets repetitive, right? He says, woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live in the tents of Kedar. He's just simply saying again, woe to me because of the place I live right now. And the fascinating thing is, I don't expect any of you to know this, and I had to research it. Meshach is far north of Israel. Meshach is not in Israel, far north, a place where, where uh, people who are probably not followers of, of uh, the God of Israel, Yahweh, live. Kedar is, is far east in, this, in the uh, Arabian desert. And so these are even two places far away that obviously the psalmist is not living in both those at once. So what does he mean? Basically, he's just saying, we live on the periphery. Woe to me because I live far away from the place where I want to be. <laughs> I live far away from home. So, so woe to me, and too long I have lived in these places that hate peace. And the word peace here is shalom. He says, I am for shalom, meaning I am for safety, belonging, wholeness. That's what I am for. But when I speak, the place I am is for war. 
And so you see a, a division of, of values here. I, I want peace, but what I see around me only leads to more distress. And, and it's very telling that the very last word in this whole song is war. Because the reality is, is if you stay in the place that you're in, that will be your experience. You can keep being for peace, but unless you start the journey home or set your sights on home, there will always be that distress in your heart. And I want to tell you guys, maybe this is freeing for some of you, you will not win and we are not called to win the culture war. What you are called to is holiness and to represent that. And, and there will be moments where heaven invades earth because the spirit that God has put in you, there will be those moments, but we long for a new heaven and a new earth, right? Like that's what we long for and we're going home. So here we are. We, we aren't gonna create heaven on earth, right? This place, we're not gonna, and, and that's why it's really important to win the culture war. And so if you go out and you're just grumpy all the time and you're like, right? Like you will be for war, not peace, right? God wants to create in you a place of peace that then you, rep, you do, you represent that when you get the opportunity to speak truth, speak truth, but I think we invest too much in competing with marketing campaigns without realizing that the answer really is a revitalization or revival that happens internally, right? And that's what God is calling us to. And we only do that. We only fight for that by crying out to him, right? By crying out to him because God is the only one that can make that change happen. And he might ask you to do extraordinary things that impact the culture around you. But that is gonna start by crying out to him, okay? And that is where the psalm starts. So, what I wanna ask you is if you are living in a place of distress right now, are you? Are you living in a place of distress? And if you are, have you grown complacent? Have you grown accustomed? Have you forgotten what it is like to call upon the name of God in that? And it's very easy for us, even who are followers of Jesus, to grow complacent, to grow accustomed, and to forget what it's like to call out to God. So my encouragement to you is this, make travel plans, right? And to you millennials, you're like, oh yeah, I'm an adventurer. There's wild in me, right? But <laughs> what I want to invite you to is, is make travel plans. With the place you are, if, if God has given you distress over the unrighteousness you see around you or unrighteousness you see in you, right? Sin that, that is still tempting you, that you, you, want to, you want to distance yourself from, you want to go home, you want to be closer to home, you want to live with the culture of heaven in you, then cry out to God. Pour over the map, right, as you make your travel plans. Read the word of God and live according to it. Live in obedience to his word. And that is a song that unites us as the people of God. This is what we sing as we go. 
as the word of Christ dwells among us, it says in Colossians 3.16, we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in our heart to God. That is the, that is the, the culture of the church as we go. And to remember the destination that he is calling us to. I'm going to leave you with a beautiful quote. It is from uh, the wonderful C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> and in his essay, The Weight of Glory, he says this. In speaking of desire for our own far-off country, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. The secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversations the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward and affect to laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it and we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. Our commonest expedient is to call it beauty and behave as if it were a settled matter. The books or music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust them. It was not in them, it only came through them, and what came through them was longing. Not beautiful, it says, these things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they will turn to dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself, They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have not yet visited. And you will find in yourself this profound desire, especially as you cry out to God and you read his word and you long for shalom. You long for wholeness and peace. And yet here what we have is we have whispers, we have truth to hold on to, but we also have something to look forward to and so you as well as me are fellow pilgrims on this journey to heaven together pray with me Father I pray that you will for maybe some of us who the desire has grown dim or the feeling has become faint, that the response in us to your invitation and the response to your love that is infinite, God, I pray that this, this will be like a mile marker today on our journey for some of us, the, the feeling of desire is painful because there has been many dashed hopes. There's been dreams that were not actualized. But we know the promise of heaven is not just a dream or something that is based upon us, but it is your promise. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you. so we trust you 
I pray that, that we will let everything that hinders fall to the wayside. I pray that our voices will be strong as we sing, and that we will learn to love you and love one another well along the way. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.